So lesson number four tonight, Truths About My Tongue. And uh, we'll continue our, our mini-series um, in this area. We're, we're over the halfway point, okay? just We just crossed it, right, into lesson number four, learning to speak with a transformed tongue. We started with my terrible tongue, and then we got to the heart of my speech. Last week, we looked at all those destructive words specifically, right? And now we'll look for those, look at those replacement words tonight, those words we want to put on in place of those sinful, self-centered words that flow so easily out of our mouths. <clears throat> Get ourselves thinking a little bit. Let's start here, all right? Think about this. Jesus, whether you look at the screen or at your handout, Jesus never uttered a single sinful sentence. Not even a single sinful word ever. We know our Savior was sinless, right? We know he lived a perfect, righteous life. We know when we go to Romans 6, we're in union with Christ, and my sins died with him, and now I have his righteousness. We know it's all perfect. But there's something different when I think about this phrase here. He never uttered a single sinful sentence, not even a single sinful word. Never. I grew up with three brothers, four boys in the house. I think maybe you've heard even the dog was a boy. My mom was vastly outnumbered, okay? Many rivalries, you can imagine, if you were raised with brothers or sisters. Disputes, fights, jealousies. Hurtful words, angry words, fighting words, sarcastic words, taunting words, put-downs, you name it, right? We were a very unsafe household. And it sometimes it seemed my mom and dad needed black and white T-shirts with a whistle, right? Uh, uniforms, right? Referees uh, keep us from hurting each other. Jesus was raised with siblings. He was raised with a sinful family. But for Jesus, never a cross word. Never angry, jealous words to get his way. Never cross words with his parents or gossip about the weird neighbor next door, right? Never. And all this while living with siblings and parents and neighbors that sin with their tongues all the time. Let me remind of the passage here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 21 to 23, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. What was that? So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now think with me further about the statement we started with. Let's take it one step further. He not only uttered no sinful sentence or a single sinful word, but Jesus always spoke with righteous words. Every one of them. Always. He spoke perfectly. Righteous words, timely words, wise and edifying words, always for the good of others. And words that always gave honor and glory and praise in a rightful place to the Father. 
They always promoted God's purposes. They were always perfectly consistent with God's will. Jesus had a a sinless, perfect tongue. And when we tend to minimize the importance of our words, we must realize Jesus never did. Listen to uh, Isaiah's reaction when he came before the throne of glory, had a glimpse of God's glory before the marvelous, wonderful throne of, of God. And he, looking at God, the one high and lifted up, said this, very interesting. Woe is me. He was undone, right, in the holiness and otherness and perfection of God. I am lost, he said. Look what he said. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah seeing the sinless, holy, perfect, majestic, all-powerful God, is ashamed in the presence of the king. And the first thing he states to summarize this unworthiness, this sinfulness, this shame, is the sick condition of his sinful tongue. It, It personified this heart that was sinful, this out of place in the presence of the one who was perfect and holy, a man of unclean lips. Now, it's interesting in the following verses there in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah answers God's call to represent him. And he says, here I am, send me. You remember that, right? And God tells Isaiah this, go and say to the people, he gives them a charge, this is what you're to go and say now to God's people. Now let's think about that. This is nothing short of remarkable. It it, it should stun us. Here he is undone, a man of unclean lips. I can't speak before him. I'm ashamed in his presence as, as all of us would be. And he tells then Isaiah, go and speak for me. Go and be my spokesperson. And Isaiah was a prophet, and he spoke, he spoke on God's behalf. One moment, Isaiah is undone by the majestic glory of God in his own wicked tongue. And the next, God is ready to send him to speak for him. The unworthy tongue would now be a spokesman for the one who was worthy the unholy tongue will now speak of for the god who is just undeniably and utterly holy isaiah's self-serving tongue will now speak in service to the king of kings it speaks to our great god doesn't it merciful loving forbearing to use sinful Isaiah to speak on his behalf. So he told Isaiah, go and say to the people. Is there a go command in the New Testament for us? Yeah, the Great Commission, right? You might think of that here. Matthew 28, go therefore and make 
disciples. And what do we do? We're to teach them. We're to baptize them with the promise that God would be with us always to the end of the age. Here's the connection. Here's where we want to start tonight. God has sent us, you, to be spokespeople for him. As unworthy as we are, we're to speak on his behalf and to represent him and his purposes by what we say. Think about it. God could have sent angels to speak on his behalf. He has at times, but he's entrusted words to us. He could have just broadcasted himself from the heavens. 12 o'clock noon, this is when God speaks. We'll all listen. <laughs> you know, we're, we, we won't speak for him, he'll speak for us. No, he chose us. We are commissioned to speak for him. We're ambassadors. He's given us a new heart to do so. And this treasure we have in, in earthen vessels, don't we? Unworthy, unfit. And why? To show the power and glory is not of us, but of God, right? It's our sinful default to speak for ourselves. These are the sins of the tongue we've been looking at. It's despicable, isn't it? So self-centered, so self-serving. We're uh, just um, enslaved to things that we've made too important in our hearts, enslaving desires, idols of the heart, things that we've made too much of, and that shows up in a sinful tongue. And God has called us to something different. He's given us new hearts. He's given us a great commission, and now we're to go and speak for him in the power of the Spirit to speak his kind of words that promote his purposes and his glory and his agenda. We are to speak with transformed tongues. And so tonight, with that introduction, we need to learn to speak with a transformed tongue. We need to speak for God. And the key thoughts we're going to be looking at today is, goes right here. Growth in Christ's likeness includes a transformation of our tongues that speak excellently to both God and others. Growth in Christ-likeness, your sanctification, your endeavor, your desire, your pursuit to be more like Christ must include, and if you're growing, will include, changes in your speech. As our heart is transformed and likened to God's purposes, when we reorient our lives around God's purposes and why he created us for him and him alone and not for ourselves, oh, it transforms us, doesn't it? And that transformation will include the way in which we speak. So we'll be looking today or tonight here on five ways to speak with a transformed tongue. You could probably come up with six and a half, maybe a dozen, maybe 25, I don't know. I've got five of them for you tonight. Uh, things I think many of you really already know, but we'll spend some time here really thinking about <coughs> ways to speak with a transformed tongue. And if you look at your sheet there, the first one we're going to look at tonight to speak for God with a transformed tongue is learn to speak <coughs> with excellence. Learn to speak with excellence. You know the passage in Ephesians 4. We're to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. 
Remember last week we, this is not on your handout, we talked about battling the sins of my tongue at two different levels, remember? There's addressing the specific sins of the tongue. If I'm whining, if I'm gossiping, if I'm lying, I need to confess those sinful words to God. And in that battle in the trenches, I not only need to confess it, I need to put it off, stop doing it, and put in its place a righteous replacement. That's putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Remember Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about this putting off, this putting on. I believe it's Colossians 3 as well speaks of this. Verse, remember Ephesians 4.25, put away falsehood and put on truthfulness. Verse 29 of chapter 4, put off corrupting talk, put on edifying speech. 4.31 in Ephesians, put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, uh, malice, put on kindness, tenderness, uh, forgiveness. This, this, uh, this putting off, this putting on, you could really think of it like repentance. It's really the nuts and bolts of it. What's repentance? It's a change of heart, right, that sees my sin, confesses that sin, and then does the 180, right? It does the U-turn. I turn from my sin and put it off, and I turn to righteousness. I put on right words. This is the important part we're talking about tonight. It's one thing to identify the sin. I've got to stop gossiping. But what do you put in its place? For the full 180, you need to put on, okay? Why do I lie the way I do? Why am I, why am I deceitful? Why is there white lies? We looked at the issues of the heart, but when I confess that at its core, I, not just, I, I must not just stop lying, Ephesians 4 says, put on truth. Okay? So, a life well-pleasing to the Lord as we're growing in Christ is confessing and repenting regularly, putting off and putting on. So let's look at that. Look, look at that. If you look at the screen here or look at your sheet, let's look at this in a practical way, right? If I'm learning to speak with excellence, I identify my sinful speech, what I need to put off, and I need to identify righteous replacements, what I need to put on. We've been talking and challenging you to think about what are sinful words I struggle with that I need to put away. And then tonight we're considering what should be those righteous replacements that we put in its place. So if we just take each of the ones we looked at last week, like grumbling and, and complaining, right? This display of dissatisfaction and circumstances that we said is ultimately rooted in the unbelief of, of, of God's promises, his provision. And I just, I'm just giving some suggestions here. I believe these would be righteous replacement. That next time you're tempted to grumble, to whine, oh, this professor, I can't believe he changed the syllabus again. Right? Unfair. Injustice. We're going to protest. Um, and if we're not holding a sign, we're protesting in our heart, right? With lots of grumblings and lots of gossip. What do we need to turn that into? I need to turn from that grumbling and dissatisfaction with those circumstances 
and that professor. And I need to turn that into thanksgiving, gratitude, praise. Wow, Lord, what are you teaching me here with this unreasonable professor? You have some lessons in store for me, and I don't know what they are, but I give you thanks by faith, because I don't feel like it right now, right? And by faith, we speak well, as opposed to tear down with gossip, complaining, whining, and taking down our friends with us, right? You understand that? You replace. I just don't zip my tongue and don't say anything. I must replace it. If we think of flattery, right? A lie disguised as an encouragement, right? Very self-centered. Selfish motives. We're, trying, we're manipulating someone for our ends. Replace that with encouragement. True, truthful encouragement for the good of the other person, not your selfish ends. So you encourage and you exhort. We'll be talking about those, those words, those right words a little bit later. Gossip and slander. Rather than maliciously speaking about someone that's not edifying or helpful behind their back, well, sometimes it's better not to say anything. Proverbs 11.13 says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Sometimes the best thing said is nothing at all. Angry speech, right? Temper tantrums, rash, hateful words. We remembered last week that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So gentle, calm, patient words. You can think about quarrels and strifes and arguments. Just I always have to have a bone to pick about something. I thrive on conflict. I love to pull the pin and throw the grenade and just watch what happens, right? The scriptures say the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Kind words, edifying words. If you're someone given to anger, always have a bone to pick, always have a quarrel, a strife, an argument. What a, what a difference that would make to come into your home and, and, and say something edifying, say something kind, say something constructive. It just changes the tone of the family evening, doesn't it? And we've had those strifeful moments. What a difference it makes in a family complexion when we change our words. What about excessive words? I just speak too much. I, I think too much of myself. And I speak more words than are necessary for the moment. Well, Proverbs ten nineteen says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his, his lips is prudent. So I need to be judicious. Choose my words carefully. More listening. Train myself to stop talking and to listen. Train myself as I'm listening to then choose wise words that are proper for the moment rather than commandeering the conversation with my words. Hasty speech, thoughtless speech, right? Should be timely, thoughtful words instead. Proverbs 15.23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Boasting words, speaking much about ourselves, or you know, pride, prideful, arrogant assertions, um, should be replaced with humble and other focused words. And then lies and deception should be replaced by the truth. 
and nothing but the truth, right? Now think with this. If you go to the other side of your page there, in all this, as our point, point number one says, I am learning to speak with excellence. Learning. And you see the words I think I say up there. Practice, practice, practice. In other words, just don't wait for the spirit to move and the planets to align and the feelings to be right in the right place and right in the right moment to start saying those kind words or to start zipping your, your, your lips or to start saying edifying words in place of sinful words. Hebrews 5.14, I think it's on your, your page there. But solid food is, not, is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. When we learn to speak with excellence, we need to confess, put off, put on. Confess, put off, put on. Practice, practice, practice. Think amongst yourself. What? What sinful speech can you confess today? Even this very moment. What righteous replacement words will you strive to use with God's help when tempted? We're going to fail again. We're going to need to confess again. We're going to need to keep practicing. But the battles you fight today will win the wars tomorrow. Practice at it by faith. Don't wait for just the right moment, but jump off that diving board and give it to God and say the right words, okay? May this be an encouragement, just an example of replacing, how to replace sinful speech with righteous replacements, okay? May God help us to do that. So as we look at five ways to speak with a transformed tongue, we learn to speak with excellence. And second, we need to speak to encourage and exhort. These are really important words here. So much of good speaking words is encouragement and it's exhortation. If you look at your page there, definition of encouragement, it's consoling and rousing the will of the discouraged to hopeful attitudes and actions. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 speaks of those who need encouragement. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. This word for faint-hearted here means small-souled. It's someone who's discouraged. They're, they're, they're weary. They're despondent. The issue here is not rebellion. All right? The issue here is a feeling of defeat and a lack of ambition by the faint-hearted. And as we all know, we've been there. We may be there tonight. We're discouraged. We've come up to circumstances or situations in our life, trials, disappointments. I remember very well when I lost my job in Columbus. I'm an engineer. I always tell everybody I'm trying to be an engineer. I've been at it for a few years, and I'm still learning. But when our office closed during that economic downturn around that 2008-2009 time, our office closed down, and suddenly my world was turned upside down. Uh, you know, now I was facing decisions I didn't want to have to face. And, of course, I'm here in Virginia now, 
because of what happened there, uh, deciding to move while three children were in private schools and trying to find a job I couldn't find in Columbus and trying to keep the ship moving in the right direction. We made the real tough decision to move. It was a trial. I was discouraged. I was confused. Things seemed real foggy. Uh, received a very sweet email from a young lady in our college ministry. We were, we were doing college ministry at Ohio State. One of our international students from Singapore. I'll never forget the encouraging words. Just a simple email of how God has this. <laughs> Essentially, that yeah, you don't, we don't know what the future holds. I know you must be confused and unsure about things, but our God, our God has this. He's in control. He cares for you. He loves you. And I'm confident he'll accomplish his purposes in you through all this. And I tell you what, in just a few sentences of an email, my heart was lifted. I needed that. The ministry of encouragement. It's one of those things that doesn't come with a title. You know, we don't have a group. Here's, here's the encouragers over here. If you want to join, sign up today. It uh, doesn't come with a name tag. It uh, doesn't have a role, uh, you know, a role of names. It seeks the, the welfare of others in the flow of life. Things happen. Circumstances change. We find ourselves in a health situation. We find ourselves in a trial. So much of ministry is not scheduled, is it? This is so practical. It's being a friend and coming alongside the hurting, the ones with questions, the ones with doubts. I don't know about you, but I've learned the practice and still learning to prepare my heart before I meet with God's people in a way that asks the Lord, Lord, how are you going to use me today? Who has a need? Who should I be listening to? Who needs an encouragement? Who needs counsel today? I, I, I don't know. But Lord, make my heart ready. These moments come. They, they, they're divine intersections, right? God brings into our life. And I have found on a busy day, it's boundless Thursday. I'm getting ready to head out the door. I worked a full day. I'm tired. We're going to start at 7 p.m. We're going to go to about 10. And um, Lord, change my heart. Work in my heart. Help me to be ready to encourage. And I ask for God's enablement. This other word here, exhortation, is a little bit different from encouragement. This is earnestly appealing to others to respond properly to God's truth. What are we doing here? Uh, John MacArthur and Wayne Mack said this, we're calling others to act consistently with God's will. This is not the coach's halftime speech, just knocking heads. Make it happen, boys. Blood makes the, blood, the grass grow, right? Uh, get out there and fire them up. Sometimes we need our heads knocked a little bit, but not, not here. Godly exhortation finds its basis and substance in the truths of God's word. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, 
Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Teaching has in mind instruction. Exhortation directs others to practice what they've been taught. You see the difference? It's appeals. It's appealing. As you teach truth, it's an appeal to then obey. It's an exhortation to follow through and to practice and to be a doer of the word, to to respond as God would have you respond. You remember Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Appeal, that's from that same word group as encourage or to exhort, to come alongside. Well, how can I participate in exhortation? Well, there's a great verse right here in Romans, in a Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin in our hearts is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. It is easy to get off track. So what, what do we say here in Hebrews? We are to exhort one another to put into practice the things we are learning to battle the deceitfulness of our heart. Think, each one of us are vulnerable to sin. We need this ministry of exhortation. Strive to make exhortation part of your ongoing ministry and body life here. Exhort others to remain faithful when there's temptation to be weak or to turn and forsake the truth. As we receive faithful teaching, exhort one another to be a doer of the word, to put it to practice. Men, bring out the call for other men to strive for purity, to be faithful husbands, faithful fathers. When we meet at Grace and Granite, for those of you that come on Tuesday mornings, come to be fed and then exhort one another to put into practice what we just learned. What am I doing? I'm taking the truth and I'm refreshing my soul with it, but then I'm proactively going and exhorting others to do what God has just taught me and to put that into practice. Be be one that has a transformed tongue and speaks these things into other people's lives. It's an, it takes an intentionality. Ladies, hold each other accountable to godly pursuits, holy living, faithfulness in your homes. Exhort, encourage. Such a great ministry of a transformed tongue. A ministry any of us here can do. Any of us. Another great ministry, when we look at five ways to speak with a transformed tongue, is to speak with compassionate confrontation. Speak with compassionate confrontation. Authentic love is manifested by communicating truthfully with someone, even though at times it may hurt. Faithful friends, as you well know, demonstrate their love to others by saying what's necessary in the moment, despite the risk of being hurt. This takes the normal conversation of speaking with someone 
to something more intentional, right? I'm speaking into their life. Now, confrontation is often misunderstood, right? We think this is something we should always avoid, and yet the scriptures speak of a confrontation that is loving and biblical. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. What are we doing here? We're looking for areas in the life of another person that need to be adjusted, that are off track, that maybe they're overcome with a sin or bearing a certain burden. We need to speak into their life with the things we're seeing and noticing. I uh, was a young engineer once. I don't know why I remember this story, because it was so long ago. This is taking me back to 1985. And I'm speaking to this older engineer. Everybody was older than me back then. And uh, we're, uh, you know, I'm soaking in with the older engineers, and we're sitting down working on a project together in this big manufacturing building. And um, I remember he was eating a Snickers bar. And, uh, you know, it was middle of the afternoon, and nothing like a Snickers bar to get you through the day until you get home. And he was eating this thing and speaking away, and I'm soaking it all in. And, and as he was eating that Snickers bar, this big uh, string of caramel came off his chin. And it's just like, yeah, it's like yay long. And as he's talking, that thing's just waving, you know. And I'm watching this thing. And I'm like, do I say anything? Uh, and I'm watching that, and I'm listening, and I'm, you know, just trying to pay attention. I try to keep myself from laughing. And I didn't say anything. He walked away, and that thing's just dangling there. Uh, you know, there's some obvious things we see sometimes, and we don't say anything. We don't speak into someone's life. Another trivial example, there was one of my college friends spoke of a gentleman in front of him at church and took off a suit coat. And as he took it off, sitting behind this gentleman, the student noticed a sock that was, that was here <laughs> clinging to his shirt, right? Well, what would you do? Uh, excuse me. You have some laundry here on your back. Uh, I can see where that would happen, right? Uh, you're invading in there and you're speaking into a situation, right, to show something that's not quite right. And oh, how we can refrain from that unnecessarily. Now, we can go in charging sometimes with a lack of love, and that's not right either, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit here. What are the elements of compassionate confrontation? What are we trying to do here? Let's look at a familiar passage or think about that. You see it. Perhaps listed there, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we're going to use the word properly, there's things we need to do with it. And it's more than just the pastor. We need to teach with it. We need to reprove. We need to correct. We need to train in righteousness. Why? so that men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped. Let's go quickly through these words here, what they mean, and we'll talk about it a little bit, all right? Teaching. Teaching. 
you see there uh, in front of you there, it's instructing the content of the message of what God has to say. We know that. It's his doctrine, stating what God has to say. Reproving is exposing and convincing someone of wrong behavior or wrong belief. Exposing and convincing. This is more than just instruction. Here's what God says. Now you're speaking into someone's life specifically. The word here is about bringing something to light. And the idea that is done is brought to light by informing someone of their wrongdoing. And then you try to help them to admit it. Reproof, okay? Correction is a little bit different. It's showing someone how to get right with God in behavior or thinking. It's restoring something back to its proper condition. You know that you've probably heard the word group here to straighten a bone, to correct it. It's restoring someone back on their feet after stumbling or falling. And then rebuke is a different word. This is different than reproof and correction. As you see there, it's a stronger word. It's an expression of strong disapproval. It's a serious refuting of error, false teaching, or sin in someone's life. It's a denunciation. Pastors and elders are especially called to do this. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Sometimes we get this notion, it's just it's supposed to be just a calm, peaceful Just let things roll. If they accept it, fine. If they don't, they're saying something wrong, incorrect, heresy. Just let it go. Let the Spirit work. No, we are to refute and rebuke error. Titus 1.9, the elder says, Be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, teaching, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. God cares about the purity of his doctrine, And for the elder and for the pastor, for the proper care of the sheep who are vulnerable to lies and false teaching. Have you ever been lovingly reproved or corrected? If you haven't, we need to get going with this ministry, don't we? We should be helping, encouraging, exhorting, confessing, edifying, encouraging and here reproving, correcting, rebuking appropriately with love, okay? When I was younger, a new believer, I was saved out of the Catholic Roman Catholicism. And when I got saved, I was still continuing to go to the Catholic Church. That's what I did. Uh, I didn't know any better. And it was my desire to see the priest and everyone else saved. I was just had dreams of the priest let me stand in front of everybody and tell them, Christ is coming back, repent. Uh, that never happened. But, uh, you know, I just was zealous, man. Let's go. Uh, these people need Christ. And the campus I was going to, um, the campus pastor, the college group there, much like Boundless, but on a secular campus, said, you know, to be biblical, you need to go to a biblical church that's made up of saints, that preaches the word. 
deacons, elders, proper doctrine. It's like, wow, that was really helpful. He reproved me. He admonished me. He let me know in a loving tone, this is, this is God's will for you. That changed the trajectory of my life. I'm here. God could have used other vessels. He could have done something else. He could have wrote something in the sky, but he chose to use a person that reproved me. I was a young believer, and I'm interested in dating. Most guys are. And uh, I, as a new believer, I, I started, I went on a date with an unbeliever. My roommate taps me on the shoulder. Well, do you know? <laughs> you know what's coming next, right? Uh, you really should be dating a, a believer, a Christian. Uh, someone with the same heart and direction you're going in. What, you, you should be pursuing someone you want to marry that's like-minded in faith. As a young believer, I was like, wow, thank you for telling me. It never, never, it never crossed my mind, actually. <laughs> It changed the trajectory of my life. Who knows what would happen if someone hadn't stopped me, share with me, and correct me, right? We need to be correcting, reproving, helping each other in these areas, right? And then you might ask yourself, are you willing to receive correction or rebuke? A teachable spirit requires humility, doesn't it? In all this, we must do it in a spirit of gentleness. Love is the operative demeanor we need, right? It's, it's all about love. It's, it's not about being right. It's not having things perfect in front of you. It's about people that are in error that will hurt them and others. And I love and care for them enough to share truth with them and to compel them to obey in love. Now, a closely related area in providing biblical counsel is just giving counsel. In this area of compassionate confrontation, and I got a verse there, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And so, counsel, the ability to speak into people's lives, to encourage, advise, and warn. And, you know, we don't have time to go through all these things, but if you want to grow in giving biblical counsel, look at the personal practice of godliness in your own life. Specialize in that. I want to be a counselor that helps others. Examine yourself first before approaching someone else. Take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of theirs. Saturate your mind and heart with scripture, right? This is about God's agenda, not yours. It's not about conforming people to your preferences. It's to align them with the, word, with the word of God. We have a lot of different preferences here. How we educate our kids, how we dress, how we go about living. And some of them are great convictions, but they're not mandates in scripture. So we counsel to scripture and what God has to say. Learn from others who counsel well and above all, put on love. Well, we're running short on time, so I'm going to go to number four here as we come to the six o'clock hour here, right? My commitment to you. But speak with redemptive and representative words, right? This makes sense, right? We are ambassadors for Christ. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for him, speaking for him. I'm encouraged. Oh, I speak well. I, I speak a lot of our boundless students. And, you know, many, I don't know if you know this, many of them go out around the neighborhoods, around this church, sharing the gospel door to door with our neighbors, the neighbors of our church. Sundays, they do that, Sunday afternoons. And I hear of others in the workplace or at school sharing the truth, whether that's with a, a believer or an unbeliever. Redemptive words, representative words, it's how people change is by sharing the truth. And God has called us to go and do that. And lastly, we speak with words of prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Five ways to speak with a transformed tongue. We pray. We express our dependence on God. We give thanks. We declare gratitude to God. And we praise, expressing homage to God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. And if you think of so many ways you can take a sinful tongue and replace it with righteous speech, much of that is right here. Are you a man or a woman of prayer that puts your dependence on God, that expresses praise and adoration and thanksgiving to him. You can never thank God enough. You can never praise him enough. And we can never pray enough. Well, in all this, I want you to be encouraged. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed at the same image from one degree of glory to another. God is in the process of changing you. If you know Jesus Christ today, he has started a work that he will complete. And moment by moment, day by day, as you relinquish more of yourself to God and put on Christ, he will transform you. He's promised to do it. As you strive for Christ's likeness, you will change and it will transform your tongue. Be hopeful. One day we will be like him. No more sin. No more sinful speech. Our tongues will be freed from sin forever but until then let's identify sins of the tongue let's put them off and put on righteous replacements may god give you grace to do that well this week now next week we'll be talking about god-centered affirmation i think that was number five and then uh and then on to listening so looking forward to that enjoy your evening thanks for joining us um have a blessed rest of the day, all right? God bless.